Morning, morning, morning. Glad to have everybody here today. Please find your way in God's precious word, Romans chapter 15, verse 14. We'll continue our walk through this letter. Paul is beginning to close out this letter. He has laid out an incredible foundation for the church. And the message of this letter is, is unity and hope. Unity and hope. We saw it again and again as we walked through the words of God. God's desire is that there will be harmony in the church for the sake of the gospel. And the key to unlocking this harmony or unity is the living out of the two greatest commandments. We've heard that we heard it from the mouth of Jesus. We read in Matthew 22, 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great. This is the great and first commandment, he said. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends all the law and the prophets. Do you want to fulfill the law? Then love, right? Love fulfills the law. We saw it here in Romans. I have to repeat what Pastor Ryan said last week when he spoke of bearing with one another. He said, it sounds so simple, but yet it's so difficult to do. The same applies here regarding the two greatest commandments. Love God. Who doesn't love God? Who doesn't want to love God? Love your neighbor. Don't raise your hand. But who doesn't want to love their neighbor? Seems so simple. But it's not. I thought about how hard it has been for Jim and Chris to love me all these years. But you see, both men are godly men, right? They do what God has called them to do. They love me. They have loved me over the years. We are brothers in Christ. I know both of them. Now, the only command that neither one has done, the only fault they have is that neither one has ever greeted me with a holy kiss. But I'm okay with that. I'm all right with that. But I know they love me. I know they love their neighbor, even when it's not easy. They live out the two greatest commandments. They they possess and use the key that unlocks the harmony or unity within the body of Christ. They have love. Now, as we have walked through this letter, Paul, being led by the Spirit, did a wonderful job telling us how we can and how we are to live out our faith. In chapters in 14 and 15, he really hit it hard. He said, listen, love and welcome the brother. Start there. Love and welcome. Then the word said, do not put a stumbling block in the path of fellow believers. Don't do that. This is That is, we humble ourselves, bear with the weaker brother, put the brother or sister first. So easy to do, right? So easy to do. You know something I thought about as we were studying this section of Romans, something that hit my mind as Pastor Ryan was teaching on this. If we are loving like we should, we would not have any time to quarrel with one another over non-essentials. I'll say it again. If we are loving like we should, we would not have any time to quarrel 
with one another over non-essentials. As the body, as the church body grows together, we begin to understand one another. We are all different. Yes, we are. But the love that we have for one another does what? It covers a multitude of sins. And we end up having goodwill towards one another. And goodwill will soon put an end to strife. And this happens because, this happens to the bride of Christ because, listen, our common hope, as we saw last week, is a powerful, unifying force in the Christian life. Verse 13, this is where Pastor Ryan left off. It said, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So not only do we as believers have hope, but we have joy, peace, and power. And the Holy Spirit of God shares these blessings with each person as they yield to him. And as we yield to God, then our, quote, common hope, becomes a powerful unifying force in the Christian life. That common hope is what unifies us in Christ. Christ is the hope of the Jew and Gentile, right? It's bringing us all together as one so that we will be unified. Unity is what sets the church apart from the rest of the world. I want you to take a minute. I just want you to look back over the past week. Don't go too far back, just past week. And think about the news that you may have heard or read. Think about the relationships between people that you know. Maybe look at the, the world affairs, the things that's been going on in the world. There is no utopia out there. It's not there. There's no unity. The love that is reported is perverted. The only true love and unity that is in this world is within the church. Think about that. Look at all that out there. There is no love and unity. Look at all the divisions. Listen, division is not of God. Unity of, is of Christ. Division is of Satan. This world is divided over everything. This world needs true love and unity. It doesn't have it. Why does it not have it? Because they don't know it. They don't know it don't know Christ, if you don't have the spirit, then you don't know what true love or unity is. And that's what sets us apart. Again, that's what sets us apart. Those two, two, two simple things sets the bride of Christ apart from the world. Jesus says, they will know that you are mine by what? By how you love. I was thinking, you know, there could be a lot of things that can set people apart in the world. And there is. And there's many things that the the quote churches over the years have tried to do to set set themselves apart. You know, we wear these certain clothes. You know, we got this nice bowl haircut or something, or you know, you know what I'm saying, the haircuts or or you know, our houses or the, the beards or, or whatever. Man has tried many things to set himself apart from the world, and none of them really work. What they really do is just make sure that no one will ever talk to you because they think you're weird. But but if you think about it. Jesus boils it down to love. So simple. It's just love. All that other stuff, you're trying to separate yourself from the world. Not love. True love happens only because of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, the world is a dark, perverted, loving, ununified bunch of people. Amen. But praise the Lord, his children have hope. 
They know what love is, and they strive to be unified all for the glory of God. So let's read our text today, verse 14. We're going to read through this section. We're not going to get to it all. But Paul is getting personal with his fellow believers here in Rome. Verse 14, he says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by the way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Jesus Christ Jesus to the Gentile and the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles might be accepted, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. By word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to the Clarium. <laughs> These words always kill me, right? I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. You know, I was excited as I began studying this part of Romans. As I read what Paul said about, said about the church in Rome, what he said to the church in Rome, I thought to myself, if I were writing a letter to the Congregation of Living Hope, I would be able to say exactly what Paul said. He said, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. I could say that about this body of believers here. I was so blessed as I studied and, and thought about all of, all of you. You know, you guys are pretty awesome. Don't, you know, just say, yeah, I know it. No, don't let that price get you. Don't do that. No, you guys are awesome. But, but you know, look, listen. Look at, look at what Paul did in this letter right here. Paul said a lot in, in, the, in the last 15 chapters. He told the people, listen, he calls them for, for he called for obedience and holiness. He told them that they, they should be killing sin. He commanded them to pursue righteousness and commit themselves to Christ and to use their spiritual gifts. Be set apart from this world to be known for, you, for your humility and love. Do, do not be known for vengeance and retaliation. Submit and love the weaker brother and care for each other. Yes, Paul said all of this to the church body in Rome, and he brings it to this statement right here. He says, you know what? After all that, I myself am satisfied about you. He said, my brothers, you are full of the goodness, full of goodness. You are filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. The new King James translates it this way. Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another. And I be says, I, I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge and com competent to instruct one another. In other words, church in Rome, he says, I know you are good. I know you are a virtuous people, and I think highly of you. 
I know your character and virtue is such that you will take what I say and apply it to your lives for the glory of God. He says, I think highly of you. Something I want to make note of. Paul said a lot to the church in Rome, like I said, but he did it because he loved them. You know, so keep that in mind as we do this walk together. If a believer goes to another brother or sister and says, you know, uh, and let's say, you know, confronts them with the truth. It, it's not that they think bad of them or are low of them. They, they actually, if they speak truth in love, think highly of you or highly of them. Right here, we see it. Paul lays out a lot of truth with love because he thinks highly of them. He is actually spurring them on to loving good deeds. That's what we're supposed to do, right? These people have a special place in Paul's heart. You know what? Let's not forget how Paul started this letter. If we look back at chapter one, verse eight, it's been a while since we've been there, but look how Paul started this letter. You know, you could get caught up in the middle thinking that Paul's blasting them, but that's not what he's doing. He's just laying the foundation for the church and how to live this out. Well, look how he started this. He said, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because of your faith is proclaimed in all the world for God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts to strengthen you that is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith both yours and mine you know, as I read this, I was encouraged again. I thought of you guys. I was thinking, you know what? If the pastors at this church was writing a letter to the people of Living Hope, this is how it would sound. He said, first, we would say, first, we thank our God through Jesus Christ for all of you because of your faith, because your faith is proclaimed throughout of Franklin, Granville, Vance, and Wake County, Right? For God is our witness whom we serve with our spirit in the gospel of his son. Know that your pastors pray for all of you without ceasing. Know that. Know that we do that. We long to see each of you every Sunday and the few days in between. That we may impart to you some spiritual gifts and strengthen you. And know this. We are mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and ours. There was a great bond between the believers and Paul back then. And there's a great bond between the people here at Living Hope and their pastors. Amen. There, you, you guys are a precious flock. And you guys bless your pastors more than you will ever know. You really do. So do you see why I got excited when I started looking at this text? Because I saw you guys. I just sat there and thought about all the years this church body has been walking through the word. And then I sat there, you know, my mind goes, you know, I'm sitting there going down memory lane and I thought about all the trials, all the joy, all the tears, all the peace and all the prayers and all the fellowship that we had over the years. Man, my heart was encouraged. You guys bless us. Because I sat and I looked and I sat there. I thought about all this stuff and I was going, you know what? We all have the same mind. We all seek to glorify God and enjoy him forever. It makes a difference. Amen. Amen. I looked at the spiritual growth. 
that has happened here. And it took me right back to my verse. I myself have convinced my brothers that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge and competent to instruct one another. That's exactly how I feel about you guys. I know the heart of this church. Saw so a quote last week that said, not always eye to eye, but always heart to heart. Not always eye to eye, but always heart to heart. It's always about the heart and the intent of the heart. Paul says it's about the church. He said that you yourselves are full of goodness, right? Now, this goodness comes from where? It comes from the heart. This is a statement about the morality of the church. It speaks of the heart, which basically means they are rich in moral, moral character, full of goodness and seeking what is good. The spirit was at work in that church. The fruit of the spirit was on full display. We talked about this. The fruit of the spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. They were filled with goodness. Now, if one is full, that's what Paul says, so they were full of goodness. That means they are making a stand against evil. If, if they love goodness and are full of goodness, then they must hate evil and desire to be full of the spirit. They hate evil and they love righteousness. This is what happens when you're full of goodness. You know, Paul spoke about being good back in chapter 12, verse 21. Write that in your margins. I'm going to back up to 14 and read it, but you remember this text. Listen. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one for evil, but give thought, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Verse 21, after all that, he says this. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's how we do it. Like Chris was saying, do we stand up, fight, roll up our sleeves and ready to show them who I am? No, overcome evil with good. How does the church overcome evil? With good. You see, the, the church overcomes evil by eating their salad, right? Let us do good works, the word says. The Roman church was an all-out solid salad bar eating congregation because they were full of goodness, the word says. They were full of it. So not only was the faith of the church known in all the world, like Paul said, but their goodness was known. Their goodness. Paul had not been to this church, as we will see, but... But he and the world had heard about their goodness. You know, but that, that's two marks the church should be known for, right? Too often the church is known for its sin, disunity, bickering, hypocrisy. All the list just goes on what the church is known for. So we have to change what the church is known for. we got to work at what the church is known for. We are, we are to be known for our faith, our love, and our goodness. Now, does that mean that the church in Rome was perfect? No, no. 
Does that mean they were out without, without sin? By no means. The church is and has always been made up by a bunch of forgiven sinners. Amen? There are going to be problems. But how the church handles the problems is what makes the difference. The difference is, does the church have a heart that desires to glorify God rather than seeking to glorify a man? Is their faith strong? Do they trust in the Lord? Is the heart of the church full of goodness? Those are the things that make a difference. Those are the things that keep unity within the body of Christ. This church or any other church is not perfect. But what makes a difference is whether or not we keep Christ at the center. And if the people have a heart full of forgiveness and goodness, God will be glorified through it all. And that's what Paul saw in the church in Colossae and he sees it here in Rome. He said, hey, you know what? You're a great church. I pray for you often. I pray that you will continue to become more like Christ every day. And he prays for their growth because they're not perfect. There's room for improvement. He said, there's a lot of good going on here. There's a lot of good going on in those churches. He said, but there's room for improvement. So Paul was an encourager here. He was encouraging. He saw their goodness and he wanted them to, to keep running the race. So he encourages them there here. And so the idea here is that Paul sees in them the fullness of goodness, not perfection. Not yet. Now, you know how my mind wanders. And this is at the point where I'm staring out my window at my study time. And a hummingbird flew up there. Didn't take much to distract me. So I'm sitting there watching this bird, and I, I start thinking about what Paul said to the church in Rome. You know, you know, he, he was encouraging. He's like, "You're full of goodness." And then I was, then my mind went to thinking about how big my head may have gotten if Paul wrote those words to me. Just me. I'm saying I, I, I would pray that. I would be able to control that nasty sin of pride, but I'm thinking I would probably be carrying that letter around walking up, you know, you know, the super apostle Paul, look what he said about me. Look at that. What do you think? That hummingbird just took me way down the path. But you know what I did think? I said, you know what? If that happened to me, my brothers in Christ would call me out. They would open both those French doors to get my big head out of here. And they would keep me talking to out of love, right? They would do it with love. I know they would. Listen, there's nothing wrong with encouraging one another. We're told to spur one another on. We just have to make sure that we never let the pride, never let pride get the upper hand. You know, or where we think, hey, we, we have arrived, you know, personally or, or as a church. We're all a work in progress. Not perfect, but there's a lot of good going on. Amen. Paul said, now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren that you are also full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another. So not only is the church full of goodness, but they are filled with all knowledge, it says. The word filled here is a verb, a passive verb, meaning having been filled with. They, they had received all knowledge. Now, the scriptures is not saying that they had all knowledge in the absolute sense. We know better than that. But, but in the sense that they had an understanding of the full scope of the Christian truth, of the Christian message. 
So they were not only full of goodness, but they were theologically sound there. Knowledge and goodness go hand in hand. You can't do what you don't know. You can't live out what you don't know. The church in Rome had their doctrine right. Their teaching aligned with the word of God. And because they taught the truth, they were all filled with knowledge, which brought in the goodness. Spiritual knowledge leads to practical application. They knew God. They knew his revealed truth. They knew his word. And they were able to stand on the promises of God and live out those truths. You know, this is a prime example of why teaching God's word should be the center of any worship service. I, I, I say again, we can't live out what we don't know. It does no one any good to go come to church and hear a feel-good message about who they are. It does no good. The feel-good message better always be about Christ and what he has done. The only everlasting feel-good message better be that we are sinners in need of a Savior. The message better be God sent a Savior. God sent his Son. The message better be for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If we want to feel better about ourselves, we don't need some self-help lecture. If we want to feel better about ourselves, we need to go to the scripture and just see how valuable we are. That'll help you. That's where you go. God has seen so much value in each one of us that he died for us. Jesus left the glories of heaven, came to this earth, walked among sinners, was hung on a cross and died. He loved us so much that he paid a debt that he could not pay so that we can spend eternity with our holy God. We don't need a feel-good sermon about ourselves and what can make us happy. No. We need the truth. We need to understand what a wretched people we are. We need to know that we are in dire straits. And we need to know this truth that Jesus is the answer to that problem. That's what we need to hear. We need to hear about Jesus, not about us and our feelings. God loves us. God died for us. That's your feel-good sermon. Amen? We don't need 500 likes on Instagram to make us feel good. We don't need some slick salesman telling us that we are good just the way we are. We don't need a comment on our Facebook page to give us short, a short-lived high. No, we go to the foot of the cross broken over our sin. That's where we will find real joy. It's there where we will find real love. It is there we will find out just how valuable and precious we really are. It's at the cross where the love of God will fill our hearts. And when the spirit comes into our hearts, change happens. Off with the old, on with the new. We are, new, we are a new creation and we have a purpose in life. We see that there is a purpose in our life and we realize we are much more valuable than we ever knew. Amen. Much more valuable than we ever knew. When the truth is preached, changes start happening. It is when the truth is preached that we're able to become more like Christ. When the truth is taught, we will know that we know we are a child of God. 
A feel-good sermon is one that equips the saints to do the will of God. And that's why we must preach the truth as they did in Rome. Amen? Now, yesterday, me and Kate, Caitlin Blackwood celebrated our birthdays. That's right. I know we look the same age, but we're not. But as I'm studying, I got a call from a young man. He wanted to wish me a happy birthday. We have a great relationship. He knows I have prayed for him over the years. I love it when he calls me. He called me and said, happy birthday. He said, another year down. I said, yep. And I have more stories to tell. He laughed. He said, I, I bet you do because he's known me for his entire life. He's heard a lot of my stories, probably over and over. So I asked him, I said to him, do you know what my favorite story is this year? He said, well, I said, you. You. You see, it was this past year that this, that this young, beautiful man got clean. His life changed. Guess what? It wasn't a feel-good sermon that changed his life. It wasn't that. It wasn't a watered-down message that made him feel good and change his life. He heard the truth of God's word. That's what changed his life. Praise the Lord, right? When I told him my favorite story was, was him, his response to me was, and that is the truth. <laughs> I love this guy. He said, you will not find this story in the fiction section. <laughs> you know? And I was like, yeah, fiction will not save a soul. It will not save a soul. Only truth will. Only truth will. That's why you have to preach the truth. We have to preach the word of God for his glory. It is the truth that changes lives. It is the truth that saves soul. <laughs> saves soul. The church in Rome was known for its faith. They were known for their goodness. They were known for their knowledge of the truth. That is a beautiful combination for which there is no equal. There is no equal. Have faith, know truth, and live it out. There is nothing else that can bring joy to the soul. Amen. None of those feel good messages. Not going to do it. Paul says, now I myself am confident concerning you, my brother, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another. Sorry. They were known for their faith. They were known for being full of goodness. They were known for their knowledge, for the teaching of the truth. And what is the result if you do it God's way? They were able to admonish one another. You see that? They were, they were competent to instruct one another. Paul considered them spiritually informed and spiritually mature. You know, th this wasn't like a, a letter or a piece of idle flattery, uh, flattery or, or compliment, right? That's not what Paul's giving here. This is a true acknowledgement of their worth. In a roundabout way, Paul was boasting in the Lord because he could see the work of God in that church. He could see the grace of God 
in that church. And Paul needed to hear this. If you look back at his life, he needed to hear and see this. I know it did his heart good. It was encouraging to him. So he's encouraging them. He said, man, you, you are competent to admonish. He said, you are competent to counsel each other. You know, this is a, a comprehensive term for counseling here. In this context, it refers to coming alongside other Christians for spiritual and moral counsel. Paul is not referring to a special gift of counseling in a sense, but what he, what he is doing is bringing to light the duty and responsibility that every believer has to encourage and strengthen other believers. I'm going to say that again. He's bringing to light the duty and responsibility that every believer has to encourage and strengthen other believers. That's a big deal for the early church. If you think about what they went through, it's awesome to see the way God was working in that church. You know, the church had been teaching the truth. The people were being equipped with the truth. And the result is the ones who were once students are now able to teach the others, to encourage the others, to strengthen others. Jesus was the first one to start the pyramid scheme. <laughs> and it's working. It's still here. He told 12. They told 12. But you know, this came about because of the desire to know more about God, because of their hearts. It came about because they had changed hearts and wanted to share the love of Jesus with others. And because they, they knew the truth and were grounded in the truth, they were able to fight the good fight no matter what came their way. They kept their faith in the toughest of times. They did what God commanded, no matter how rough it got out there. Think about this. Real persecution was happening to those believers. The Jewish believers got kicked completely out of the city and then brought back, and then they're supposed to unify. And they did it. They didn't have the complete word. They were the beginning of the church, but they were all working this out. All of their differences to, to all of their differences together, not letting the non-essentials causing division. They had one heart. They were there with one heart, and that was to glorify God. They were mature believers. They had grown to the point where they did not need Paul. That's what Paul's saying here. He said, You can act without me now. Wow, that's encouraging to a pastor. With all you know, having all knowledge revealed by God, with all you are having true goodness of life, you are able to counsel one another. You are able to admonish one another. You are now able to lead someone from a false path into a true path by warning of the dangers and teaching of the truth. You are equipped. We all should be equipped be able to lead someone away from the false path and teach them the truth. I got a question. What did the early church have to use to counsel others? The word, right? That's all they had. Listen, receiving counseling is not a bad thing. Nothing anyone should ever be ashamed of. No, far from it. As we see today, the early believers were counseling each other. They're working through all this stuff. I mean, we all have problems. We all have, you know, things that we got to get straight. So counseling is a good thing. It gets us through the toughest of times. So if you need help, get help. Find a brother. 
but tragically, I want to say this, many Christians today have been convinced that competent counseling can only be accomplished by a person who's trained in the principles of secular psychology. They didn't have it back then. They didn't have it. I don't know if you know this, but various schools of psychology are for the most part are at extremes, extreme odds with God's word. They're totally opposite of what God teaches. So if you need help, make sure you get biblical counsel. Sometimes you hear the word Christian counseling. Sounds good, but be aware. Although they may profess that all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, many of them do not rely on the full sufficiency of God's word. Biblical counseling is what you want. Biblical counseling. There's some Christians who are uniquely gifted for giving encouraging biblical counseling. There are ones who rely on the full sufficiency of God's words. And that's how you get through these tough times. That's how you do it. With a brother in Christ and with the word of God, we can all get through the, all of this together. So counseling is a good thing. It helps in the unity of the church. So Paul's broader point in our text today is this. Through God's word and the Holy Spirit, God has provided the church in Rome and will provide godly congregations of believers with everything needed to live faithfully, effectively, and joyfully for him. Trust in the Lord and know that he will give us all that we need. All faithful Christians are divinely equipped to admonish one another as needs and opportunities arise among them. And the Romans had set the example for us. So as I wrap this up today, I want to encourage all of you today by saying this. I see in you what Paul saw in the early church in Rome. I see your faith that carries you through in the toughest of times. I see your goodness as you love God and love others. I see your knowledge of, of the word as I hear your conversations during the fellowship time and when the times we meet together. I see your ability to counsel one another. I see the heart of this church and that is to glorify God with our lives. God has given each of his children the Holy Spirit. By virtue of the spirit of God given to us, we can know true goodness and we can live it out. We can hate sin and love righteousness. We can have the fruit of the spirit. We can be filled with all the fruits of righteousness. We can have all knowledge and wisdom that is in him. In him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We must seek him though. We have to seek him first. We can do this church. We can do this together. We look at the church in Rome and what they're going through and what, what happened to them. And in all that persecution and chaos everyone trying to stop the church from growing what is the church of rome known for its faith they were known for their goodness they were known for their knowledge of the word they were known for their love for one another that's a beautiful combination for which there is no equal so church i say as we leave here today be encouraged 
love God, love your neighbor, have faith, know truth, and live it out. There is nothing else can bring true joy to the soul. Nothing else. So do not let the affairs of this world steal your joy. Live in the truth. Amen? Amen. Brother?